Today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 15. And whenever time allows, we start with a proverb of the day, sort of like to give you a well-balanced diet. You want to get your vegetables and your grains and your meats, right? You want to get a, a full-balanced diet. So whenever I can, I throw in a proverb of the day, and we're going to be in uh, Proverbs chapter 6. It's kind of right in the center of the Bible. Chapter 6, verses 12 through 15, only a few verses. Proverbs six twelve. It says, A worthless person... A wicked man walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes or he gives signals with his eyes. He shuffles his feet. He points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. Therefore, his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly, he shall be broken without remedy. Worthless person, villain, a wicked person. This is pretty strong language, but this is how God views a person who is a, in a continuous pattern of this type of behavior. And it's kind of odd. You look at this, and there's a, a winking of the eyes and a shuffling of the feet, and kind of reminds me of baseball. You ever see the, the pitcher and the catcher, and they're kind of doing their signals, and then the coaches kind of do this, and you ever see that? And it's, it looks like they have ticks or something. But basically what they're doing is they don't want the other team to know what their code, what their signals are for the players. But this is not what we're talking about in the scripture. This is uh, more of um, someone who's a real sneak. You know, they, they kind of like, they don't have the courage to tell someone if they have an issue with them. But they kind of, you know, look at that person or they point or, you see this in grade school, you know, and kids can be really mean. You know, they pick on other kids and they, they ostracize them. And someone who's an adult really shouldn't engage in this type of behavior. They have shifty eyes. They have head motions. They don't walk in the light. They don't, they're not honest and upfront. They walk in the darkness. So therefore, these signals and things have to take place to, um, you know, try to do something behind another person's back. And this is a person who does all they can to sow discord. That's the end result. They plant doubts in other people's minds about folks and you know it's just a common practice uh, that's done now verse 15 it says that this person cannot go on like that forever and get away with it eventually it catches up to them and in our study in revelation we're going to see that the wicked eventually justice comes and is meted out to the wicked so as we go forward to revelation revelation 15 starting with verse 1 we saw the last time the, the dichotomy between the two paths in life and the two harvest judgments. And today we're going to look at the introduction uh, to the last judgments, the last plagues in the book of Revelation. These are the vile judgments. Now, not V-I-L-E, but V-I-A-L. In the Greek, the word is translated in vile or a basin or some type of bowl judgments. Now, we saw in the beginning of Revelation where the seals, the seven seals were broken. And each time a seal was broken, there was some type of cataclysmic event, some judgment of God onto a wicked and rebellious earth. But remember, the church is removed. God's people who have trusted and been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, who believe in Jesus, aren't here on the earth. So God is judging wickedness, just like he did in Sodom and Gomorrah, just like he did in Egypt. He always pulls his people out before he judges the wicked. The wheat and the tares, let them grow up together. Let's not cut down the tares because we might hurt some of the tender wheat, the, the good mixed in with the evil. Let's remove on, on harvest time, let's cut it all down and then separate the good from the bad and destroy the bad. 
Okay, so you had the seven seals broken, right? And then after the seven seals were the seven trumpets, and now we have the seven vials or the seven bowl judgments. Pretty fascinating uh, portion in Scripture. So we're going to jump in with chapter 15, verse 1. Then I saw, remember this is the Apostle John, then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. This was a sign, okay? It says it right in the beginning. Remember the woman clothed with with the sun. It was a sign. The great red dragon was a sign. So remember a sign. This is um, uh, an omen, a harbinger, a, a, a picture of something that we'll get more detail into later. Verse 1 is very broad. It's a general picture. The seven angels are commissioned with, uh, with the last plagues to punish the Antichrist-dominated world in the forms of these judgments. Now, remember what I said before. The Word of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God's prophets, they would eat the Word of God and mm, it was sweet in my mouth, but when I swallowed it and it went to my stomach, it was bitter. We're in the bitter portion of Scripture. We're going to talk, the next book I'm, going to, I'm praying about going into James after Revelation. It's a good book. And there's, there's sweetness there. There's a lot of, you know, there's forgiveness, there's love, there's second chances, there's uh, all these great things. But you know what? There's also bitterness in the Scripture. There's bitterness. There's hard things for those who are wicked and rebel against God and refuse to repent of their sins. And that's what we're in. And I'm going to take advantage of it while we're in it because we may not see this for a while. Verse 2. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, or the Antichrist, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. So, verse 1 is a sign, and verse 2 is kind of a a soliloquy, an aside, a a frame within a frame. You see this sign, but now we're kind of changing the channel. And we're going to go back to the sign again. So while we're in this, I'm going to describe it. In contrast to verse 1's judgment, you have these who were kind of victorious. They're standing on a sea of glass. It's mingled with fire. And what does it all mean? This is one of the last of a series of proof texts that many will be saved even through the tribulation. And we've seen proof after proof after proof of those in the tribulation to be saved out of the tribulation. Uh, standing on the sea of glass mingled with fire, those who refuse the Antichrist mark and his number. This is what awaits the victorious in Christ. And let me explain their situation. See how rough they had it. It's that old expression, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. Right now, right now as we speak in the present, we can all say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I, I, I want to receive of the blood of Christ. I want to be washed in that blood. I want, to, you know, I want newness of life. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to go to heaven like the, the 92-year-old woman that I spoke about. She knew. She was on her last legs, and she said, I'm going to be with my Lord and Savior, and, and she just knew it. She had so much confidence in that. Or we can rebel, and we could say, eh, I'll wait till later, etc. Now, let's say the rapture comes, and the Lord pulls his people you know, out of this earth. He, he takes them to heaven with them. Marriage supper of the Lamb, a lot of thing, things, things are going on there. And then the rest are waiting in this really dark, desolate, spiritual time period. And what happens is, those who come to Christ during the tribulation period are going to have to refuse the mark of the beast. Remember, the 666, the mark of the beast, refuse to worship his image, uh, refuse to worship the Antichrist. And they're going to have a hard time because they're going to be marginalized by this world dictator. 
the Christians are getting in the way. You know, there's only a few of them. You marginalize a group and then you can persecute them. That's what dictators do. You marginalize them first. They're freaks. We got to get rid of them. So the Christians are going to be very alone, very, um, you know, they're going to have the Lord, but it's going to be a very tough go. And the only way out of it really is death and not suicide, but really live, dying a martyr's death. We can look at that situation. You know, they, they were victorious. They were overcomers, but they had it hard. We can look at our situations and kind of make some comparisons. I've heard some folks say, you know what? I just can't take any more bad news. I'm barely hanging on. I'm close to the edge and I'm looking over. You switch the channels for a minute in the physical realm. Some of the guys I work with, a few of the officers, they went to a call of a distraught female. She was up a few stories and, um, you know, they got there and she was ready to jump off the balcony. And just as she was ready to jump, two of my officers grabbed her and they pulled her back, right, from the brink of, of desolation. I wonder what that felt like to have a hand pull you just as you're looking down and bring you back to safety. Well, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, we can know and we can remember that there's times in our lives that we were on the brink, maybe not physically, but emotionally, spiritually. And it's almost like there's a hand grabbing you and pulls you back into reality and, and security and safety. So we know if we've been believers for some time that the Lord has brought us back. Okay. And we can experience that. But there's also a time where the Lord desires that we work with him in persevering and overcoming. And there are really two types of people in this world. There's victims and there are those who are victorious. And let me take that apart a little bit. If you look at the talk show circuit, everybody's a victim. You know, they're all looking for airtime. There's a psychological condi condition called Munchausen syndrome, where even somebody who looks like a really sweet girl, petite mother, she hurts her children so that others will go come around her and, and, and she feigns that they have some illness or something. And it's all done for attention to make this woman look like a victim. And she feeds off of this victim complex. And they've had videos of this kind of stuff happening. It's pretty sick. And then there are those who are victorious, overcomers. And the Bible calls us to be victorious and overcomers. Dan showed me, uh, he sent me a video, and I looked at it first time. There's this guy, his name is Nick Voyasik from Australia, Australia, and he tells his testimony. He was born with a congenital defect. He has no arms and no legs, and he goes all around the world. He's a Christian speaking about what it means to be victorious. Here's a guy who is, is performing, or not performing, but speaking in front of an audience full of, of you know, high schoolers, and he says, when life knocks you down, and he actually falls over, no arms, no legs. He's laying down talking to them, right, on his belly. And he talked about what it means to get up, to get back up, and to have the strength of God to be able to get back up. And you watch him as he's speaking. Now, he's got, he can't hold a microphone, obviously, so he's wearing a headset like mine. And you watch him. He puts his head to the ground, and he undulates his spine, and he, and he, like, a, like an earthworm. And he, he's able, little by little, and he gets up using his head and his shoulders and his hips and his spine. When I saw that, I wept. And I said, Lord, forgive me for ever complaining about a situation in my life. Now, I don't want to minimize, and that's me. That's just me. I felt convicted. I don't want to minimize anyone's suffering because you know what? You could lose a loved one. The Whitehead family is struggling right now. You could have a terrible tragedy in your life. And that's not being living in a victim complex. That's when life throws you a curveball. And that's what Nick is talking about. 
How do we overcome? How do we rise up from those situations? And really, without the foundation of Christ, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to do. So my question is, are we victims? United States, it's such a, a, an interesting paradox where we're a country that's so wealthy, so wealthy. We have so much wealth in this country. But we all want to be victims. We all want to wallow in our self-pity. And, and I've noticed that about our country. Boy, we need a little bit of uh, tribulation and trial to wake us up here and build some character. You see, because their promises that the Lord gives to the overcomers and the victorious in Christ. Number one, Jesus said to the churches, you can sit with me on my throne. Yeah, sit with me on my throne. What's the next page? No, really think about that. Christ's throne. He earned that throne. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And he says, if you're victorious, you can sit with me on my throne. That's why we need to meditate on God's word. That's not a small thing to, to, to comprehend. He says, I will give you the morning star. He's referring to himself. Jesus says, a lot of people give gifts, but let me give you the best gift, me. The best gift, Jesus says, is me. That's not a small thing either. He desires a deeper relationship with us, like the vine and the branches, that, that give and take, that, that deeper relationship to strengthen us. God calls us to be overcomers. And this is a good message to persevere and overcome. It's a timeless message in any church era, especially today. The sea of glass. Now, we've seen this before in Revelation 4, 6, but here, in addition to the sea of glass, we see fire mingled through it. And again, I use my imagination, and I'm trying to just picture this, this scene. And what a, what a, a dazzling display it must have been for the Apostle John to see. But the tribulation saints were victorious because they resisted unto their death the Antichrist and his system. So they were victorious. And they're standing on the sea of glass mingled with fire. Because as a result of them being victorious over the, the Antichrist, they were also victorious over the judgments that were coming on the world. Think about that. They were standing over judgment. They were victorious. Because if they stayed in the world system and, and, and made an easy life for themselves just to go with the crowd, which a lot of people do, and I hate to say a lot of Christians do, then he would have been judged, they would have been judged with the rest of those people. Because you have a choice in life. You choose the world system or you choose the Lord system. It's that simple. Two types of people in the world. Choose the world system, choose the Lord system. You can't have it both. That's called double-minded. And the Bible says that the double-minded is is unstable in all their ways. So these people have passed over, in a sense, like the Passover, the judgment, and they're standing on this, this incredible site. Verse 3. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. The tribulation saints sing a song of Moses. Now, the song of Moses, if you go back to the Old Testament, Exodus 15, Deuteronomy 32, uh, it's a delivery from slavery. Praise the Lord. We were delivered from the slavery and the bondage in Egypt. In Egypt. And the song of the Lamb is, is a deliverance from spiritual slavery. You, can, you see, you can't have one without the other. It's great to be delivered from oppression, but it's even better to be delivered from spiritual oppression, sin, and, and, and evil, and wickedness. 
K.P. Yohannan, I will use his words because it'll come out less offensive. K.P. Yohannan is Eastern India. I believe he's from Southern India. And he grew up in India, came to the United States, and then he, he's, he's back in India, um, basically ministering to the Indian people. They're his people. And he said to America, basically, I read his book, he said that, don't give my people hospitals and schools and food and millions of dollars and don't give them the gospel. He said they have to have both. Why would you give my people all these, these material things and not give the gospel also? Because Christians now, organizations, were afraid of spreading the gospel because it's looked at as imperialism or it's looked at as, as domination, but we're just given the love of Christ. He said that my people will just go to hell a little bit more wealthier. Think about that. Don't give them the material goods without giving them the spiritual food that they need. You need both. The song here, if you look at it, it's a compilation of a lot of Old Testament scripture kind of put together or Old uh, Testament concepts. Uh, But taken together, I'll just break it up into three points, this song. Number one, starting with verse three, Lord, everything you do is perfect and it's wonderful. Praise, praise. There's an acronym, ACTS, A-C-T-S, when you pray, not that we have to order everything, but the concepts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, A, adoration, praise. Do we take the time in our spiritual diet, is praise part of our spiritual diet? I mean, in anything, in your body, in your relationships, in the weather, in, in anything in life, you can see the praise of God. You can praise God for what he's done, right? Simple things. You love somebody, love. What's love? Is it a physical thing? Is it kind of floating out in the air? Can you really put your finger on it? Praise God. I have the ability to love people and for people to love me. That's so awesome. Praise. Two, verse four, in a nutshell, all should and will respect or acquiesce to you. If not now, very soon, certainly in the millennial kingdom. What's this stuff about? Ruling with a rod of iron and from Jerusalem and, you know, he'll, he'll break the rebellious. I've never seen that. It's in all of history. When has God done that and, and ruled from the world in one central location? It's the millennial kingdom, which we'll get to. It's going to happen. And the, the, the second point is, part of the song is, I'm subjected to you, Lord. And the question for us is, are we subjected? Can we say with our heart as well as our lips, Lord, I'm subjected to you. I'm accountable. I'm uh, under authority. It's, it's, it's an important question to ask ourselves. And three, the last line, your judgments are and will be revealed to all. A picture of total redemption, final, fair, and perfect justice. A brother um, commented to me last week. Remember my sermon last week, especially the altar call if you, <laughs> if you were here? Uh, he said, Hey, that was a great sermon on judgment. Is everything okay? (laughs) I said, yeah, everything's okay. I'm going to take advantage of judgment now that we're in it. I'm not going to poo-poo judgment so I could just get to the love and forgiveness part. Judgment is real. Judgment is important. Those who don't know Jesus need to know what they're going to expect, what they face. Go into it with your eyes wide open. Judgment. So I said to him, were you scared? And he goes, no way, man. I know what the Lord has promised me. That's not for me. And that wasn't arrogant, but that was a belief in God's promises. And that's my question to you. Do you believe in God's promises? 
Do you really believe that God says what he means and means what he says? If he says that your sins are forgiven, do you believe that? If he says that if you believe in his son, Jesus Christ, that you're washed by his blood, that you have eternal life, do you believe that? I know I do. If you don't know the Lord and you were afraid or you're afraid of judgment or you hear judgment, it scares you, that's good. That's a healthy fear. You need to know, you need to pass through the blood of Christ. If you don't know the Lord and you're not afraid, you're in more trouble than you think because we can say ignorance is bliss and in the world, certainly the less you know about mankind, sometimes it is a little bit blissful. But in this case, ignorance is not bliss. If you don't know the Lord and you're like, eh, judgment, that's great. What are we going to talk about after uh, the Super Bowl? That's foolish. If you don't know the Lord and you're not afraid, you're in trouble. If you do know the Lord and you're still afraid, continue to meditate on God's word. Because the more you understand God's word, the more it sinks into your heart, the more you understand that his, his, he thinks things that are good for us. He's got good plans for us and not evil. This judgment stuff is not meant for you. Verse 5. After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues clothed in pure, bright linen, and having their, having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So now we're back to the sign, but we're, we're getting a little bit more detail into what's going on with, with verse 1. So we, the channel has changed back to the little aside, the soliloquy, it's my favorite word for the day, of these folks who came out of the tribulation period, stood on the sea of glass, mingled with fire. Now we're back to the original thing that we covered in verse 1. So these seven angels come directly from God's presence. We spoke about the heaven. We spoke about the copy, uh, the things, the originals in heaven and the copies on earth that God had Moses and, and, and different uh, men of God uh, duplicate. So, uh, you know, these seven angels come directly from God's presence with their marching orders. They're clothed in bright linen and golden bands. We saw that in the high priestly garb in the Old Testament. And also Jesus was wearing similar accoutrements in Revelation 1. The mission is righteous and it ministers to God. Now let's decipher how it goes down just so, uh, just so I can make sense of it. Number one, the sign, a general picture of things that are about to happen with more specificity later. Uh, two through four, the, uh, the ones that passed over the judgment standing on the sea of glass. We're back to five and six. Angels come from the temple with their marching orders. And verse seven, one of the living creatures, remember them? Living creatures in Revelation, early in Revelation, Additionally, gives the angels a bowl containing the wrath of God, and it appears the angels, I guess in a sense, mix the bowl of the wrath of God with the plagues, and then they pour it out on the earth. You know, um, I, all I could think about is, well, that's interesting. You ever get, when, if your kid is sick, they give you like the child antibiotics, and it comes in a powder, and it has a pretty long shelf life, but then what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to open it up and mix it with water, shake it up, give it to your kid, and then refrigerate it, right? That's all I could think of. It's not the best example. But somehow these things are mixed together. They're activated, and then they're poured onto the earth, and uh, the judgment happens. Verse 8, the smoke is filling the temple. Let's discuss the smoke. 
Well, in Exodus 40, in the Old Testament, the smoke of the Lord kept Moses out of the tabernacle. Uh, it's not like cigarette smoke like we would think, but it's, it's like a smoke or some type of vapor. It's, um, it's, it's really a, a part of the glory of God. And God is so glorious that Moses couldn't get back into the tabernacle because the smoke of God's glory was so great. Isaiah 6, we see something similar. And Second Chronicles 7, the smoke of the Lord precluded the priests from getting into the temple after the temple was dedicated. God's glory was so powerful and so magnificent that the priests had to wait until the smoke subsided before they could get back into the temple. The message, though, I believe is they couldn't, no one could come back into this, this place where God was until the mission was completed. It was almost as if God was saying, this is my directive and it's not going to be overturned. Once you do your job, then you can come into my presence again. And also, there's another part of this. I'm not going to change my mind. It's set. This is it. Here are the plagues, pour them out. The wrath of God being poured out on mankind. Ooh, that's heavy. In the Old Testament, God said to Jeremiah, the prophet, don't even take up a lamentation for these people. It's, it's set. You know, it's not a good place to be because in the scripture we see that God gives chances upon chances upon chances. And I don't know, he's, he's very long-suffering, certainly more long-suffering than I would be. I wouldn't wait that long. But he waits a long time. And we read Second Peter, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but he's long-suffering that all mankind would come to repentance. But when the, when the time is up and God has a specific time and judgment has to come, be afraid. Be afraid. Because we live in an age of grace. You know, God forgives, God forgives, God forgives. Even unbelievers, he calls them, they say no. He calls them, they say no. Eventually they come around. But there's going to come a point in time where grace and the long-suffering have run out and all there's left is judgment. That should be really sobering to us. And that's something that we should also meditate on. Now we're going to go into some of these judgments as they start to get poured. I'm going to go into a few of them. Uh, Chapter 16, starting with verse 1. Then I, the apostle John, heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So the first vial or bowl judgment is poured out on the earth, and sores develop these disgusting, loathsome, probably you know, smelly, whatever sores are on those who follow the Antichrist. And we can compare that to uh, Exodus 9 and the sixth plague of Egypt, the sores and the boils, right? Those who have the mark of the beast now have a new mark that God has given them. You want to worship the beast? You want to take his mark? You want to have his number? Here, now you can have my mark in addition to that. Verse 3. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Now, before we move on to the next one, let's think about this for a minute. Second vial is poured out on the seas and the oceans compared to Egypt's first plague in Exodus 7, the plague on the Nile, but this is more far-reaching. Now, I have to tell you that, and this isn't for shock value, this isn't to gross you out, but you really need to meditate on this because this is what's going to happen. In my other calling, which is on its way out, I've seen more dead people than I care to imagine. Dead men, dead women, a day old, two weeks old, 
And when the blood starts to come out, death is not pretty. It's not how they look in a funeral parlor. When somebody dies and they start to rot, it's disgusting. And the, dead of a, the blood of a dead man is, it comes out, it's clumpy, it's dark, and it stinks. And this is what the waters are going to look like. Again, I don't say that for shock value, but we need to meditate on the bad as well as the good. This is what's coming onto the earth. What's interesting is that the seal judgments, you often saw a quarter was destroyed, a quarter, a quarter. The trumpet judgments, you would see a third destruction. These judgments are pretty, pretty intense, and it shows the intensity and the, and the uh, far-reachingness of the, uh, the vile judgments over the, the first two. Verse 4. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, that's interesting, the angel of the waters. You were righteous, O Lord, the one who is and was and who is to be, the eternality of God. Because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. Third vial. All the waterways, fresh water, probably wells, probably reservoirs, just conjecture. Everything is useless now. Turn on the spigot, it's coming up. They just can't filter it. It's disgusting. In verse 5, we see the angel of the waters. These are some things that kind of get my attention. We know that the, uh, the, the, what Gabriel, the angel Gabriel was fighting with the uh, angel of the prince of Persia, and then the prince of peace, and then the angel Michael came and helped him get the message to Daniel. You get a, a glimpse in the book of Daniel into the spiritual the realm of, and the angels fighting and pretty wild stuff. Angels are territorial. You got good angels, you got bad angels. You got the angels by the river of Euphrates, you got the ones of Greece, you got angels of the United States, the demons. You've got the ones that are saying, yeah, more abortions. Yeah, more pornography. This is great. I'm sure the angel, the demon of the United States has a really good stronghold here because he's able to take this country of wealth. We're so wealthy. We have so much. We're so bored with ourselves. Let's sin. That's a good idea. Let's, you know, just brainwash the people with television, all the junk that's on TV. I love the, the, the shows about the Bible and, and the sitcoms about the pastor. You know, there's so, there's so much surreptitious messages in there. Just to say, if, no, if, if you don't read the Bible, you're going to get your theology lesson from the television? Stuff is garbage. It really is. It's trash. Where was I? The angels of the water. <laughs> this is why I have notes, because I'll go, woo, I'll go out here and I'll forget where, to, where I was to begin with. But the angels of the waters, he's explaining this vial. Isn't that interesting? He's telling you, he's telling the reader, God's doing this. And let me explain. I'm the angels of the waters. But I'm going to tell you that this is good what he's doing. Pretty impressive. Number one, he says in his, in his speech, he says, You are righteous, eternal Lord. Everything you do is without fault or error. Chuck Smith said, which was great. I believe it was Chuck Smith. He said, if you have a, a faulty interpretation of the Bible, and you read the Bible, and you have a problem with God, your interpretation is off. And I have to do the job of a pastor to explain to you when you see the judgment, the waters of blood of a dead man, I have to explain to you that God is still good. And the angel is affirming that God is still good. He messed up my waters, but he is still good because what he's doing is righteous. Judgment is necessary. Number two, your righteous, 
Your righteousness, Lord, is tied to this retributive punishment, blood for blood. The punishment fits the crime. Now, in our jurisprudence system, you know, you look at American jurisprudence and hopefully in, in other countries, you want the crime, uh, the punishment to fit the crime. So if somebody, you catch somebody stealing a loaf of bread and you find out their, their family is hungry and they stole this loaf of bread out of need, there's a different punishment for the person who is just bored with himself and goes out and murders five people. Big difference. So there has to be a difference in the punishment. The punishment has to fit the crime or the punishment is not fair. And what the angel is saying is, man is a bloodthirsty being. And for all the blood he shed, he will have blood to drink. Punishment fits the crime. And see, my job here is to make, God does look good. I shouldn't say that. Is to explain that God is good, in case you're not sure. Another reason our society has an aversion to judgment and punishment is because we've accepted this for too long. In our society, we live in dysfunction. How many even Christians read the Bible compared to reading the newspaper or reading a novel or watching television? I'm not asking you to do those things, but look at the ratio. So what are you going to get? You're eating mostly junk food, and what's going to happen to you? You're going to get sick. So we look at this, and even Christians shudder at some of this stuff and say, how could a loving God do that? Let me give you an example. Police go to a call of a domestic, all right, husband and wife, open the door, Wife has a bloody nose and a black eye. Police determine the husband belted her, or he's been doing this. He gets arrested. Police are arresting the man, and the woman jumps on the cop's back. What? I'm, I'm the hero. I'm the knight. What are you doing, lady? What's going on? She's lived in dysfunction for so long that when they go to take her husband away, she has a problem with it. Now the police become the enemy. You understand? We as a society live in dysfunction for so long because of the junk that we take in that when we see judgment, we have a problem with it. But the problem isn't God's problem. The problem is with our understanding. You see what I'm saying? And it's all how you look at it. When you look at it with the spiritual colored glasses, everything starts to make sense. It becomes clearer. Chuck Smith was going through the Old Testament and I was uh, listening to some of his the laws and the punishment for wickedness, for murderers and for uh, you know, thieves and for all these things. And Chuck Smith, this was 20 years ago, he stops and he reflects and he goes, you know what, today there's more rights for criminals than there are for the victims. What's, what's going on with our society? Proverbs says that the wicked will have their day of reckoning. Last verse, verse 7. And I heard another from the altar saying, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. This could go back to the fifth seal in Revelation 6 that we covered, another voice from the altar. Remember those who were under the altar, those who had come out and were slain as martyrs, and they were under the altar, and they were saying to the Lord, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? And he said, just wait a little, bit, a little while longer until the proper time. So godly vengeance is finally at hand for the killing of possibly the souls under the altar and all uh, inequities and injustices in the world murder is very common in our society but god takes it seriously from the original uh, uh cain slewing abel he says your your brother's blood cries out from the ground the first murder how could you do this how could you do this he was righteous you 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 were wicked, and you know, if you only did the right thing, you would have been accepted, but you killed your brother out of jealousy. So even from the first murder, God takes it seriously, especially when his servants are the victims. 
And it's hard for me because I read the periodicals overseas and I live a good life here. And then I look at my brothers who are pastors and, and churchgoers in, in some of these oppressive countries and they burn their churches down and they kill people. And, they, and, I, and I just say, why, Lord, why? I want to go there and I want to fight for them. I want to avenge them. But they're doing the right thing. You know, they're, they're giving up their lives for the Lord. But one day God is going to call all that blood that was flowing for account. There's going to be an accounting for that. Many skip over the teaching of judgment because you have to answer too many questions. How could a loving God do this? If I was God, I would do this. Now, do you understand what you're saying when you say that? The problem with that is you're making a God in your own image that you can control. Haven't we tried that with the politicians? Right? They tell us what we want to hear, and we like it that they tell us what we want to hear. And then when they get into office, they lie to us and do what they want anyway. So why don't we just do it the reverse? Why don't we just look at God and say, God is perfect. Some things that are a little bitter in the stomach, but he is what he is, and he's not going to change. He's already in office. Okay? He doesn't have to sell anything to us. All right? Why don't we start with that? The question is, when we look at the end of this, are you a victorious saint or are you a lost sinner? Are you victorious or are you a victim? And the time is running out to make that decision. Let's pray.